Today we conclude our sermon series on the book of Colossians titled, Walking in Faithfulness. Today's sermon is titled, Faithful and Fruitful, Part 2. Part 1 was the first sermon. Now, 16 sermons later, we are on Part 2. We began this series on January 12th. I'm not sure if you remember that. (laughs) A lot has transpired since January 12th. Who would have known that on that day, we would worship another eight times together, and then a worldwide pandemic would force us out of our church building. Today marks our 17th quarantine Sunday in a row. A lot has changed. But then again, a lot remains the same for us. Consider the Word of God that we're about to read and study. The Word of God is timeless, it is solid and steady and forever relevant, no matter our circumstances. Uh, Months ago, I told you that the three nearby churches, the churches in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, were, were all about 10 to 15 miles apart. Here is a map that puts things in perspective. And remember what I said a few months back. I told you that uh, just a few years after receiving this letter that Paul wrote, around 60 AD, a devastating earthquake destroyed those cities. Laodicea was rebuilt, but Colossae ceased to exist. And yet this letter to that church stands and gives us great insight and encouragement. In today's passage, Paul wraps up this letter by addressing 11 people and describing their lives, how they all walked in faithfulness and lived lives of glory that changed the world. Well, all but one, but we'll get to that later. Before we read, let me ask you, though, if someone were to write about your life, uh, how you're living right now, what would they say? Would they say you are a beloved brother or sister in Christ who serves Christ and his kingdom faithfully? Ultimately, that is the description that matters for us. And where God's grace is present in bearing fruit, this is what happens to us. And so, let's read Colossians 4, verses 17 through 19. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodicedans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we are like grass that withers. We are like flowers that fade. We have but a few years to live on earth, this side of heaven. We praise you that you have made yourself known to us so that we may truly honor you with the days we have. Help us in this hour to find our significance in you. Help us to walk in faithfulness, we pray. Amen. Well, what can a grain of sand teach you about significance, meaning in life, purpose? A lot, I think. A grain of sand, all on its own, has little worth. No one goes into Home Depot looking to purchase a grain of sand. See, when mixing concrete or building a sandbox, you want bags of sand. Do you know how many grains of sand are in just one cubic foot? One billion grains of sand. Yeah, that's right. Look it up on the interwebs. My friends, the worth of sand is found in its connection with other grains of sand as well as being part of some greater good. What a waste is one grain of sand. One grain of sand alone by itself is, is either worthless or it's an irritant or both. One grain of sand in the heel of a shoe is an irritant, right? And one grain of sand by itself, like if I were to drop a grain on this carpet, well, it's worthless. But one grain of sand combined with many others, well, there is worth, value, utility, and purpose. Consider a sandcastle. To be a grain of sand in a mighty sandcastle. Oh, the joy, the beauty. Yes, I know, sandcastles don't last very long. But to be one grain of sand in a project of glory, well, that's the best. And so, in some ways, your life and my life are like grains of sand. When we live for our own glory, apart from others, we're, we're like a, a, an alone piece of sand, irritating others, and in the end, ultimately worthless in the greater eternal scheme of things. Now look at this image. Can you tell what it is? It is a grain of sand upon which an artist engraved a sandcastle. I don't know how the artist did it, but that is a grain of sand whose entire being is all about the big picture of the sandcastle. My friends, that is what this letter to the Colossians is about, our lives being lived for the big picture. And the big picture is Christ and his gospel message. See, when your life is bound up in the sandcastle-like glory of gospel living, then your short life is actually something quite grand and glorious. That is what God does for us in the gospel. He calls us away and out of our self-absorbed 
self-absorbed kingdoms, to come alive to Christ and his kingdom, to put his kingdom upon our bodies, upon our lives, upon our souls. This letter we've been studying, Colossians, is about you and I coming together like sand with a singular purpose of building a sandcastle during our short time on earth. That is, to live for Christ and his kingdom together. Walking in faithfulness is about this, a life focused upon Christ. In the passage we just read, Paul ends his letter by mentioning Many people who, with Paul, walked in faithfulness. They were grains of sand with pictures of sandcastles upon them, and they lived for Christ and his kingdom. So we will look quickly at each person with the goal of delighting in in who God has made them to be so that we can see who God is making us to be. You ready? All right. So, First on the list, let's look at two faithful messengers, Tychicus and Onesimus. We meet Tychicus in verses 7 and 8, where Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus is the mailman. (laughs) He's the one who actually delivered this letter from Paul to the Colossians. This was no easy task. Paul was in prison in Rome over 1,000 miles away. Tychicus would have to cross Italy on foot, then sail across the Adriatic Sea, cross Greece on foot, sail across the Aegean Sea, and then walk an additional 100 miles on foot to Colossae. Now, you think your mail carrier has a tough job during this pandemic. But Tychicus was more than just the mailman. Paul calls him what? A beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He was a fellow worker with Paul who had accompanied Paul faithfully on many of his journeys. He had returned to Paul to Jerusalem on Paul's third missionary journey through Macedonia. He was there with, with Paul in Rome now. He will be with Paul when Paul writes his letter to Titus. He will be with Paul again during Paul's final Roman imprisonment when he writes his second letter to Timothy, who is pastoring in Ephesus. And when Timothy has to leave Ephesus, Paul will send Tychicus there as an interim pastor. Tychicus is a a great example of someone who was faithful in small things, being entrusted with greater things. Tychicus is a faithful servant in the Lord. You know, we've been talking these months about living the Christ-centered life, walking in faithfulness. And, and here we see that Tychicus' service was centered on the Lord. Paul was sending him not only to deliver the letter, but also to share with the Colossians about Paul's circumstances, to kind of fill them in on, on all the newsy stuff, and then also to encourage them. Tychicus is a faithful minister, and he will encourage the Colossians and strengthen their hearts. Tychicus walked in faithfulness. Tychicus is carrying two additional letters with him, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and Paul's personal letter to Philemon. And that leads us to our second person on the list, Onesimus. 
Look at verse 9 where Paul writes, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? That means he's a Colossian. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. Now, who is Onesimus? Onesimus is a runaway slave and the subject of Paul's letter to Philemon, a Christian slave master. Paul, notice Paul's description of Onesimus. He was not a minister or fellow servant like Tychicus, but he was a faithful and dear brother. We learn from the letter to Philemon that Onesimus did not know Christ when he first ran away. He actually came to faith in Christ through Paul's witness. And now Paul was sending him back to his master. Remember, the, the slavery in ancient times was different than what we had in America. It still wasn't glorious or good. But now he was returning no longer as a slave, but what? As a dear brother in Christ. Paul wrote earlier in this letter, remember what he said? He said, here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. My friends, remember, Christ levels the playing field for everyone that he may then lift everyone up. The distinguishing characteristics of Christians isn't their occupational status, skin color, social standing, or gender. The distinguishing characteristics of Christians is that we are all one in Christ. Onesimus is a great example of that. Like Tychicus, Onesimus walked in faithfulness. So first we have two faithful messengers. Next we move on to three Jewish co-workers and comforters. First up, we have Aristarchus. What a name. When you understand how amazing he was, you may wish to name one of your kids Aristarchus. Look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. We learned some key facts about Aristarchus from the book of Acts. Aristarchus was a Macedonian Jew from Thessalonica. He was seized with Paul during the riot in Ephesus. Remember that? He was shipwrecked with Paul on the island of Malta. And here in Colossians, Paul calls him a fellow prisoner. He was under arrest as well. Aristarchus walked in faithfulness to Christ. Next up, we have Mark. Look at verse 10 again. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. This is the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and we learn quite a bit about him from the book of Acts. Mark began the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, but then deserted them on the road. Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement over Mark and parted company on their second missionary journey. Later on, we find Mark with the apostle Peter. But where is Mark now? At this very point, Mark is in Rome with Paul. Mark lost trust with Paul when he deserted him during his first missionary journey, but now Mark is working with Paul once again. Paul even tells the people at Colossae to welcome him, right? Probably because some of the people may still be holding on to, to something against him for deserting Paul earlier. Maybe they heard rumors, and, and Paul wants to set the record straight. Welcome him, says Paul. Later on in his second letter to Timothy, check this out. 
Paul, Paul will call for Mark to come to him because during his final imprisonment in Rome, he is all alone. Here's how Paul writes about Mark in 2 Timothy 4.11. He writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Wow. Mark is a great reminder that God is not finished with you even if you have failed. Everybody's got a past. But just because you've got a past doesn't mean that you don't have a future. God is the God of second chances. And just as Mark was restored to ministry, God can restore you too. And thirdly, we have justice. Look at verse 11. And Jesus, who was called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Jesus was a common name at that time. Basically, it means Joshua, Yeshua. But for obvious reason, Paul identifies him as Justice, uh, his second name. So there's no confusion. We don't know much about Justice, but we do know that he was one of only three Jews who were serving with Paul at this time. This was a great comfort to Paul because most of the Jews were hostile to Paul in his message. Paul may have been an apostle to the Gentiles, but he had a heart for his fellow Jews. Paul loved the Jewish people fiercely, and he longed to see them come to Christ, the Messiah. So Paul sends greetings from these three Jewish co-workers, and next he sends greetings from three Gentile co-workers, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Let's look at Epaphras first. We meet Epaphras in the first chapter of this letter. Remember what we read? Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. Just as you learned it, the gospel, that is, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras was the founder and original pastor of the church at Colossae, and perhaps also of the churches in the nearby towns of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now he is in Rome with Paul. He came with great news of the Colossian church and how their church is expressing great love in the Spirit. But also, no doubt, he told Paul about the outsiders who were trying to lead the people away from resting in the finished work of Christ. Paul writes of Epaphras in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Paul describes Epaphras how? As a servant of Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, and I don't mean to be confrontational, but would anyone who knows you well describes you first and foremost as a servant of Christ Jesus? See, mature Christians don't just believe in Christ. They also serve him, and not begrudgingly, but with great joy as Christ has captured their hearts. Perhaps the most distinguishing characteristic of Epaphras in this list is Paul's description of him as always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Epaphras had an amazing ministry of prayer. He was always praying and interceding 
for the Colossians. And Epaphras prays for the most important blessings to come upon the Colossians. And what is it? Well, it's maturity. The, entire, the entirety of the Christian life is about seeking maturity in Christ. And that is what Paul said he and Epaphras struggled to bring about in the introductory words of this letter. Let's go back there. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that's the energy of Christ in Paul, that he powerfully works within me. Paul and Epaphras toiled and struggled so that churches everywhere would, what, reach maturity. No longer to be full of infant Christians or childish Christians. You know, you can be a Christian for a long time and yet still lack maturity. But the goal of Christian leaders like Paul and Epaphras and the elders and staff here at Grace Church is to toil for maturity in the body. Which is why I'm so pleased to announce that this fall we are launching our long-awaited discipleship program at Grace Presbyterian Church. You will have an opportunity to join a small discipleship group in which you will be challenged and encouraged um, and you will encourage one another to grow as Christians. This is a marvelous reality for us. It will change us in so many ways. I cannot wait for it to begin. So would you please be in prayer about our discipleship groups? Would you pray like Epaphras that we would grow and mature in Christ? September is right around the corner and so is our kickoff. Maturity in Christ. May it not just be our goal, but may it become our reality. Paul also says that Epaphras worked hard for the churches. Verse 13 again. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. That phrase worked hard comes from the Greek word that means pain, strenuous work, hard labor. Epaphras was a hard worker. And it's true, right? Hard work goes hand in hand with faithfulness. And he worked hard not only for the Colossians, but also for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Here's a man who was working hard and praying for churches in three different cities. Christ and his church are built by men and women like Epaphras. We desperately need people like Epaphras today. People who will wrestle in prayer for God's people and work hard for the kingdom of God. So we have Epaphras, the great prayer warrior. And then we have two other Greeks, Luke and Demas. Paul writes in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Luke was a Gentile believer who was Paul's good friend and perhaps his personal physician on his missionary trips. Luke is also the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. In fact, it's kind of fun when you read through the book of Acts to notice when Luke shifts from writing things like they did this or they did that to saying we did this, we did that. Every time he shifts to we is a time when he has joined Paul for that part of the journey. And also remember this. 
Mark was with Paul at this time too. So we actually have two of the gospel writers with Paul in Rome at the same time this letter is being written. It's pretty cool, huh? So we have Epaphras and Luke. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we also have, have Demas. Demas is mentioned by his name only. We don't learn anything specific about him here. He's not called beloved or faithful. However, we learn, do learn from the, the book of 2 Timothy that later on, Demas deserted Paul during Paul's second imprisonment at Rome. Here's what Paul says. Do your best to come to me soon. He's writing to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. These words in 2 Timothy were written just three or four years after Paul's letter to the Colossians. Notice the contrast here between Mark, who deserted Paul and was eventually restored, and Demas, who started off strong but eventually deserted. We learn from this the sad truth that, that not everyone in the church continues in their Christian commitment. Now, truth be told, we don't know for sure how the story ends for Demas. But it appears that Demas is an example of someone who failed to finish well. Perhaps there was repentance in restoration to faithful work. We just don't know. Paul tells us that Demas abandoned him because Demas loved the world. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we hear these words, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Christian life is not a hundred-yard dash, it's a marathon. We need to go the distance. Demas loved the world, which means he stopped setting his heart and mind on things above. He was no longer living with Christ as supreme and preeminent in his life. Demas is a warning to us that we need to keep Christ at the center if we want to finish well. Walking in faithfulness means we not only start well, but we finish well. And so let me ask you, are you committed to finishing well? So Paul began by speaking of the men who carried the letter. Then he talked of those who remained with him after he wrote the letter and sent it along. And Paul ends now by focus upon, focusing upon the recipients of the letter. First, he greets the Christians in Laodicea and one in particular, Nympha, along with the church that meets in her house. Wow. Look at verse uh, 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Christians did not begin owning buildings for worship until around A.D. 200. So churches often met in homes at this time. This church that met in Nympha's home was probably one of the house churches in Laodicea. Nympha was a faithful follower of Christ who loved his body, the church. So much so that she opened up her home. And no doubt, no doubt to the suspicion and ridicule of who? Her neighbors. See, those Christians are meeting at Nympha's house. Yeah, the ridicule, it begins quite quickly after you commit yourself to Christ. But she opened up her home to the church. And so let me ask you, is your love for Christ and his church strong like Nympha's? 
Do you serve Christ not worrying about the suspicion and ridicule of others? Now, Paul will have a special word for Archippus, but first, um, before he gets there, Paul asks for a letter exchange. Look at verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the churches of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. This letter to the Colossians was, be, was to be taken to Laodicea, to be read there. And there was a letter in Laodicea that was to be taken to Colossae, to be read there. Now, it's likely that the letter to Laodicea is actually the letter to the Ephesians, which was more like a mass email, a general letter sent to many churches in the area. Ephesus isn't that far away. After the call for the letter exchange, Paul gives the Colossians a word of instructions concerning a man in the Colossian church named Archippus. Look at verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus may have been Philemon's son, and he was probably a pastor in Colossae. Whatever his role, he was involved in some type of ministry, and he was in danger of stopping before he had completed the work God gave him to do. Perhaps he was tired or discouraged. Maybe the false teachers in Colossae were wearing him out. He felt in over his head. My friends, when you commit to walk in faithfulness and follow Christ and serve him, you will regularly feel worn out and in over your head, right? And Paul knows this perhaps better than most. And so he ends with words of encouragement for Archippus. Sometimes just hearing the words of encouragement from another is all we need to press on in our faithful walk. Grace Presbyterian Church, let us be an encouraging congregation. I know we can do it. Oh, see what I just did? All right. Finally, Paul closes out the letter with his own greeting. Look at verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul would have dictated most of this letter to someone else who was writing it down. His hands were in chains after all, right? But now he picks up the pen himself as his chains jingle in the cell, and he wants to write down the closing words. This was partly to guard against forgery. He signed off on all of his letters. But it also emphasized a personal touch at the end of the letter. He tells the Colossians to remember his chains. Paul is suffering for Christ and the gospel, and it is touching to consider that, that Paul is in chains even as he picks up the pain to, pen to write this final greeting. He, he doesn't want them to feel sorry for him, though. No, he wants them to remember that his chains are part of God's plan. So don't feel sorry for me. Also, neither be embarrassed for me. Think about it, right? You're in Colossae, and you're sharing Paul's letter with, with your neighbors, with, with unbelievers, and they ask, really? 
He's in prison and you listen to him? For Paul and for us, his chains were to serve as a reminder that no servant is above his master. That God's favor actually um, can rest on those who suffer. And that as Christ being in chains was a sign of God being at work in him, so too with Paul. Paul closes with these very simple words. They're beautiful though. Grace be with you. Paul never got tired of proclaiming God's amazing grace and sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He began this letter with the words, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And now he ends the letter with a final benediction, Grace be with you. The letter of Colossians begins and it ends with grace. And my friends, consider this truth. Those iron chains which bound Paul's hands and feet, they've long since rusted away to nothing. The chains are gone, but the grace remains. The Christian life begins in grace, and the Christian life ends in grace, and so too our entire walk in faithfulness is enabled and empowered by grace. This same grace. This side of heaven, we sinners will always be in need of daily grace. And thankfully, grace from heaven flows from Christ to us daily. The one who gave himself in mercy and grace upon the cross now daily gives his people mercy and grace as we walk in faithfulness. All right, so we're done with our study on the book of Colossians. But I don't think the book of Colossians is done with us. As Paul wrote early in this letter, this gospel is bearing fruit all around the world, and, and it has come to us here on the east end of Long Island. And at its center of this book is Christ, the divine Son of God, through whom all things were created, and now all things hold together. As Paul has magnified for us in this letter, Jesus is supreme over all things. And because he is supreme, he is to have preeminence in our lives. Our lives are to find their joy and happiness and purpose and significance in Christ. Therefore, let us walk in faithfulness. And he has called us to follow him for whatever days we have left on earth. Like grains of sand, our significance is found in relationship to other grains of sand that are part of some glorious sandcastle. And our sandcastle that we're endeavoring to build is the body of Christ, alive and kicking on the east end of Long Island. My friends, there's no greater purpose you could ever have. Now I want to end with a final story which you, you may have heard before. It's from John Piper's book. I've mentioned it before. His book is Don't Waste Your Life, which is on our book table, by the way, and in a few weeks, you could get a copy, or you can order it from Amazon. John Piper writes these following words. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. 
Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, says Piper, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at that great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over and against that, Piper says, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. My friends, the grace of God is with you to walk in faithfulness and to finish well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Help us this day to not be in love with this present world. May we stand firm in your grace. Fill us with joy, even as we toil and struggle to see Christ preeminent in all things. Help us to mature as Christians, and may we walk in faithfulness all the days of our lives. Amen.